hiding in the rooms of her mind where her husband could not reach her. She felt she might have died of sheer loneliness of spirit had not a miracle happened during the last London season. She rose and walked over to the pianoforte and sat down and began to play so that she could remember that miracle in peace. Behind her, the guests drank and gossiped as her fingers moved across the keys. Last year, the season had been nearly over when her husband had insisted she make a call on an elderly dowager, Mrs. Trumpington, whose husband had been a prominent member of the Whig Party during his lifetime. He had intended to go with her, but had drunk so deeply the night before that he complained of being poisoned and said he would spend the day in bed. And so Emma had gone alone. There were two other ladies there visiting Mrs. Trumpington, both like Emma in their early twenties. They were Annabel, Mrs. Carruthers, married to a gamester, and Matilda, Duchess of Hadshire. Mrs. Trumpington proved to be a malicious and amusing old quiz and entertained her guests with all the latest scandal before suddenly and quietly falling asleep. The three ladies had talked politely at first about the things they were supposed to talk about, social chit-chat, recipes, plays and operas, but all of them being drawn together by the fact that they were all, as yet, childless. And then Emma had said suddenly, after they had been discussing a production of Romeo and Juliet, I wonder what would have happened had Romeo been able to marry his Juliet. Perhaps after a year or two passed, he would be nagging her about this and that, and she would have grown fat on pasta and misery. Or he would have drunk and gambled so that life became a constant fear of ruins and duns, said Annabel. Or his great love might prove to be nothing more than a sophisticated fantasy, said Matilda. They talked for a little. And then it dawned on Emma that they were, in fact, all talking about their husbands. It was so delicious to be able to unburden oneself to sympathetic ears that each lady began to castigate Romeo, and that famous lover began to take on the character of first Emma's husband, then Annabelle's, and then Matilda's. They became fast friends. Sir Benjamin was flattered that one of his wife's new friends was a duchess and did everything he could to encourage the friendship. And soon I shall see them again, thought Emma as her fingers rippled over the keys. It had been a grim winter. The deeper Sir Benjamin sank into the bottle, the more malicious and autocratic he became. He never staggered or slurred his speech. He merely became vindictive. He had decided that his pretty wife's inability to breed was caused by her lack of enthusiasm in the bedroom, and his demands on her body became more innovative and, to Emma, more humiliating. Although he stayed some time in London to attend the parliamentary debates in the House of Commons, such stays were of miserably short duration, or so it seemed to Emma. Each evening he was at home, she would pray with increasing fervour that he would pass out as soon as his head hit the pillow, and for the past blessed month that had been the case. If only he would drink himself to death. 
Emma shuddered at the wicked thought, but it took hold of her mind. She could almost see the funeral, the churchyard, the mourners. She could hear the voice of the rector raised in the funeral service. She imagined she could feel the springy turf of the graveyard under her feet as she walked away from the graveside a free woman. Her husband put a hand on her shoulder and she started an alarm and brought her fingers down on the keys in a noisy discord. The harsh sound echoed round the drawing room. Our guests are going, my love, said Sir Benjamin. Emma rose gracefully, lowering her eyes in case he could read her thoughts, and went to say goodbye. She kissed her mother's cold, powdered cheek. Her father gave her a perfunctory nod, his eyes already swivelling in the direction of Sir Benjamin, in hope.